Thank you for listening to our Chat Canna broadcast. This podcast was originally created for our YouTube channel and is being rebroadcast here for your convenience. We'd like to thank the folks at Canna RHX for providing this Chat Canna podcast. And good morning, everyone. It is another Chat Canna. The days are going by in October. I cannot believe it. Sugar Beet Harvest is going really, really well this year. And we are so thankful after two years of absolutely the worst harvests you can imagine, soybeans, sunflowers, everything is in process in the northern Red River Valley. And all we can say is be careful out there. Just be careful out there. There's not been some rains, some rains that have come along every couple of days that give the drivers a bit of a respite. So just yield to the drivers. That's all we can say. Just they may not see your little car. Stay out of their way. Let's have a nice, safe harvest. It's been going pretty good so far. Let's keep it that way. A wonderful, wonderful show for us today on Chat Canna. An amazing guest, but first, my co-host here, Veronica Michael from Prairie Products down in Fargo, North Dakota. Good morning, Veronica. How are you? Good morning. How are you today? I'm on top of the world. I must have got some of those steroids that they're giving out to the big shots out in Washington or something. I don't know. I'm just feeling, I'm feeling, I really, I don't know what happened. I, I had my little typical morning breakfast and uh, not a drop of coffee yet, So, but I'm feeling really good. Um, let's do an introduction. We have with us, um, of course, since this show is about hemp, um, this is just an awesome guest today because if you're on the Minnesota side of the river and you're talking about hemp, um, everybody knows our next guest. Um, she is your first contact and she is your contact along the way, if you are in the Minnesota pilot program for hemp, now it's going to be evolving into the new program. But uh, Margaret Waratowski has just been uh, the most awesome person. Uh, there isn't a conference you can go to or a chat. I, I can call anybody in the hemp business in Minnesota, and I promise you I should have a stopwatch because we will not be three minutes into the conversation <laughs> And we're going to embarrass her before we go too far. But Margaret's name comes up, and that's because she has uh, been there from the start. She was on the team that developed uh, the program that got approved by the feds to say, yeah, you can have hemp in Minnesota. And she has been there hands-on uh, from day one, uh, working with all of the farmers, the processors, uh, the growers, any different kinds of titles you want to put on it. Uh, she has been the pivot program pr person. Fortunately, she now has help, so it's not all on Margaret's shoulders, um, but uh, it's just been a wonderful ride, and we are so thankful here because I know that I can send her an email uh, at 2 o'clock in the morning, and within the next, I, I can just leave it because I know that at some time in her cycle of working, she will see it. She will get back to me. I don't have to think about it. You know, other people, you got to, you know, six hours later, you got to kind of remind them you sent them an email or whatever and do that, but I can just, yep. I sent it to Margaret. She will get back to me. I go on with my other things. So here she is. Margaret, thank you so much for being with us on Chat Canada today. And we're going to just sit back and let you talk for the next hour. No, <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, hey it's just a pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, I remember, actually, I think it was on the same um, NDSU program or something where I, I first saw you because we had talked for a couple of years now and all of a sudden you were in one of the chat rooms and I'm going, wow, that, that's Margaret. It was just such a, a joy to put a face because you don't have your picture anywhere on the 
uh, the Minnesota State program uh, uh, web pages or anything. So, so you know, Margaret. So since great to uh, see you. John is so starstruck, why don't you <laughs> give us your title and give us a little bit of information for our listeners who may not know you about your position? Oh, I've got it. Yeah. Sure. Um, <laughs> So yeah, my name is Margaret Wyatrowski. I'm the hemp program coordinator for the Minnesota Department of Agriculture, the state agency. Um, so basically with the, with the hemp program in Minnesota, there are essentially three of us. Um, there's myself and I kind of like run the program on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, my supervisor, his name is Tony Cordelette, so a lot of you probably have met him as well. He works half-time on hemp and half-time on the noxious weed program. Um, and then my coworker, Katie Mutchler, she is um, full-time on the hemp program as well, and, and she does a lot of the, um, like, sending out, you know, letters when, crops have been tested and um, doing the actual inspections and that kind of thing. So, so yeah, there's essentially two and a half of us. Um, and our program has been, been established since um, 2016. That was the very first year of, of any legal hemp cultivation in Minnesota. So we're just wrapping up our fifth year. Wow. Wow. How many growers in Minnesota are there of hemp this this year or licensee holders? Yeah, this could well, be a lot more growers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, this year we had about 580 applications to the program and we have about 450 growers licensed. Um, you know, things were weird this year, obviously, we all know with COVID. Um, so, so we actually had issues towards the end of our application period where people were applying, but then not able to get fingerprinted because all the, the law enforcement um, offices were shut down. Mm -hmm. And so we ended up getting more applications than, you know, actual licensees just because of of that issue with the getting fingerprinted and completing the background check but yeah about 450 growers and there's about 200 licensed processors so you know there's overlap there obviously some people hold a grower and a processor permit um but you know, I people are always kind of shocked to hear that. Whoa, there's 200 hemp processors in Minnesota. Just there, that. there are, but um, under the pilot program rules, anyone that was doing any kind of processing with hemp at all had to hold a license. So a lot of people would just get it, just to have it. Um, and then, you know, even people who are doing very small scale processing or even for their own use had to hold that permit. But once we move into the, um, the commercial licensing program, actually, so only processors who are processing for commercial purposes will need to hold that license. So I think the number of people that get will be getting that license will go down slightly. Mm -hmm. There's uh, on the Minnesota site, 
uh, there used to be a giant, giant list of all of the growers and everything. And now it's really a rather short list. Um, yeah, that list is interesting. Um, I, I think it's misunderstood a little bit as far as like, so I, I have a lot of people who contact us and say like, well, we're not on the list. I mean, we have a license, but we're not on the list. Um, as long as we have been operating as a pilot program, the participants in pilot programs in general in Minnesota are, that's considered private and, you know, classified information. So we have to keep all the names and data and locations of all the pilot program participants private and protected unless people specifically sign a consent form to release their data. So in order to appear on that list that's on our website, you have to sign a consent to release form and submit it to us. Mm -hmm. And it just because of how our application works. Um, so like last year, everything was done through DocuSign. So they could just like basically click a button to sign that form. And yeah. so lots of people did it. And I thought, this, I, yeah, I thought I had, we this had all year it was uh, all done through paper, through the mail. And so it's just human nature. Like people just aren't as likely to sign it and return it if it's a paper form. So that's, that's what happened. I mean, we have more <laughs> licensees this year than we did last year, but just yeah. not as many people who actually submitted the form. But once the pilot program ends, and we move into the commercial licensing program, we will not be, you know, we will not be able to legally like protect, or we won't have the obligation to protect and keep private all that information. So we'll become public information. So we won't maintain that specific list anymore, but what will happen is people can, um, you know, file like a, essentially like a freedom of information um, data request and get the names, if that makes sense. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, for processors like us, that was important when we started to be able to reach out to regional farmers to ask. But on the other hand, as someone that uh, respects privacy, I'm glad to hear that it was a consensual form. You know, uh, it's the magic of Facebook, right? You'll give it away when you don't know what's happening in front of you, uh, all your privacy, but yeah. Yeah. One, one kind of interesting, um, you know, one extra nuance to that is that we, we felt that it was actually important to continue to keep the actual physical locations, like the physical grow locations and processing locations private due to, you know, safety concerns. And then also there's a lot of theft issues that go on. And so we did ask the legislature to um, write into our statute specifically to keep just the location, the physical grow and processing location information private. So that will be the only piece of information that we will continue to keep private, but the, the names of licensees, um, and their like business address addresses, that kind of thing will be private that's, or public. I'm sorry, public. That's great though for security to have that. That's very thoughtful. Mm -hmm. So what did you think going into it? I know that, you know, you don't come from a, 
a, a hemp study or anything before this. So what was the first day? I mean, did someone say, hey, are you interested in this program or would you consider taking this job or how did it all start for you? Yeah, um, so I, I started at the Department of Agriculture doing pest detection surveys. So I would go out to farms and gardens throughout the state and put up traps for invasive insect pests and look for um, plant pathogens. So, you know, I really had kind of a plant production background um, when I started. And um, I did that, that survey work for a year and a half. Um, but it was a temporary position. So a lot of the positions at the Department of Agriculture are seasonal or temporary. It's kind of the nature of this work. Um, so I was always kind of looking out for a permanent position. Uh, the, the hemp program was, it actually had been operating for about a year. And my supervisor, Tony, was running the program. Um, but you know that was not sustainable at all. So they finally got funding to be able to offer a dedicated position for the program. And that opened up and I decided to apply. Um, you know, I wasn't even really sure <laughs> that I wanted the job. I just thought, well, I'll go for it. Um, and I ended up getting offered the job and you know, I, I took it just knowing it was gonna be I mean, nobody had ever had the job before. It was brand new. So I had exactly. really no idea what to expect. And it's kind of interesting because my very first day, we had uh, an inspection with the DEA, with our DEA agents, because we used to hold a DEA import registration permit. Um, when the program first started, it was only legal when, if you're a hemp grower, the only seed you could get to grow was seed that had been imported into the country under the MDA importer registration permit. So as part of that, that permitting process, we had to submit to an annual registration by the DEA. So that was the very first day was, um, you know, doing that inspection with them and, I got to say, it was just kind of exciting and different. And, you know, this whole, this job has just been like that. Like everyone in the department knows who we are and they're always like, oh, here comes Margaret. Like <laughs> this trouble coming. And it's just kind of fun to have that little bit of notoriety. <laughs> see, see, so I didn't overspeak at the beginning, you see, so. So that's right. It's really neat. And of course, hemp <laughs> everywhere that I go, I, you know, I, I, I do world cruise, not world around the world cruises, but I cruise over in the Mediterranean and do transatlantics. And I can talk about a lot of businesses that I've been in, but you drop the word hemp and everything at the table goes quiet. And then the questions start. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the first question of course is, so you're a pot farmer. And then we got to get that straightened out. It's like, no, no, trust me. It's as far away from that as growing, you know, a, a guy that grows barley for beer is more of a, an addictive grower than I am. We're not doing that. And then we start explaining and explaining and explaining. And, but it's just an amazing business to be in. It's really fun because the story, there's a story to tell and education that goes on. 
And it's just an exciting time to be in it. And we are the pioneers right here. Anybody that's on this show, you know, 20 years from now, people are going to look back and we are going to be the pioneers that, that got. Absolutely. That's going to be. Absolutely. You know, actually we should, we should jump right into that because this is a pioneering year. You know, there is, uh, there are new rules and conversations happening that are pushing us uh, forward, just like this guy is talking about. Um, should we jump into that, Margaret? Do you want to talk a little bit about the new rules and what's ahead? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, every year is is different. Things change every single year as we get clarification from the federal government. Um, and this this year, you know, we're coming to the end of the pilot program, um, and it probably will change the most between this year and next year than it has in the past. But um, so really, you know, the whole story kind of starts with, well, the, you know, there was the very first farm bill that legalized the, the pilot programs that was passed in 2014. And every four years they have to, um, they have to enact a new version of the farm bill. So in 2018, um, the farm bill version that passed actually put in kind of a sunset date for the pilot programs for all the states and um, created the commercial hemp program. So that passed in 2018, but we couldn't do anything with that until they, um, you know, released their rules framework. So, you know, the statute is pretty bare bones and they had to actually like flesh it out with the rules. So that took about a year for them to release the interim final rule. And that was released um, on October 30th of 2019. And so um, we, you know, we we weren't sure, like, were we going to have to start operating under those new rules immediately? Um, but it, you know, through the whole process, come to realize that. So what, what happened was the USDA released the rules and then each state has to, had to make a decision if they wanted to continue to regulate hemp at the state level or if they just wanted to give up you know, all controlled to the federal government. So in Minnesota, we decided that we did want to continue to regulate hemp at the state level. And in order to do that, we had to draft our state plan for hemp regulation. Um, but essentially, the plan had to adhere to all the rules that USDA had released. So um, this whole past year, We've gone through that process. We wrote our state plan. We submitted it to USDA. Um, we then got response back from them that we had to change certain things because they didn't conform to the rule appropriately. Uh, so we submitted another draft to them, came back and they said, no, you still need to change these certain <laughs> things. And then finally the third draft that we submitted, they accepted. Uh, so then it was a question of what what the timing was going to be. So um, originally the expiration date of the pilot program had to be exactly two years after they had released the interim final rule, which would be October 31st, so the end of this month. Uh, 
but we, um, so, you know, a lot of the states were like, well, you can't just change an agricultural program, like in the middle of a harvest season. I mean, you can't expect farmers to be like, trying to learn all these new rules and get a new license and all that, like in the middle of when they're going to be harvesting. So they actually just passed a um, extension of the pilot programs last week. I don't know if you guys heard about that. So instead of changing from the pilot, instead of ending the pilot program at the end of this month, we are going to be able to push it until the end of December. Um, so December 31st is when the pilot program will end. And then the new commercial licensing program will begin on January 1st. So that's what we'll apply for now on November 1st will be the, the new deal. Yes, okay. that is correct. Okay. Wow. So once again, this kind of shows that, you know, people in big glass windows, buildings are making rules for people that are out here working and even that most basic thing of like, oh, we'll just set it on October 31st when, like mm -hmm. you say, toward the end, but in the middle of harvest, all of a sudden it's a new game. It's like, what are you thinking? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, just that's a pretty basic uh, kind of a thing. So I don't suppose with that kind of a thumbnail on it, there's any chance that the point three is on any kind of a horizon of getting changed. Yeah. So there are a lot of things that we have issue with, with, with the rule. Um, and that's part of the reason why there was so much negotiation with, uh, you know, submitting a plan and having it be rejected and then submitting a new one. It was because we, you know, we basically wrote our plan. The first draft was how we want, how we want to run the program in Minnesota, how we've been running it for the past four years, the pilot program and how we think it should be done. And so, you know, there were certain elements of that that they rejected. Um, so there are things that, that we don't like about it, such as the 15 day period. Yeah, so yeah. Um, under the pilot program, we take a sample for the THC testing and then the farmer has 30 days to harvest after that. Well, now the, that, that harvest period window is gonna shorten to 15 days. And that's just really hard for us as a program to coordinate all the testing of all those fields. Um, it's hard for the lab to report results in such a short time frame. And it's hard for the farmers to be able to harvest in you know such a, a short um, time period. Um, so the the point three percent number that's really interesting. I mean that's probably the thing I hear the most uh, from farmers is that they are unhappy with the point three percent number. They think it's too low, and that that should be changed. Uh, that number point three is actually written in the federal law in the farm bill so it isn't something that can be changed in rule um it would have to be changed by an act of congress um so that's something where you know it's not really under our control to be able to change that number but what we can change are there are certain things we can change that will help with that number, such as one good thing that happened with 
with the rules is that they are asking labs to factor in a measurement of uncertainty when reporting results. So, you know, so essentially, instead of reporting a set number to the grower, we will give them a number, but it will be a range factoring in this measurement of uncertainty. So that, you know, kind of gives a little bit of leeway there. Um, one thing that we recommended and that we'll be implementing is that, you know, the laboratory measurement of uncertainty is actually just one small part of uncertainty in this whole testing scheme. The bigger part of uncertainty is the sampling um, methodology. So, thank you. Um, so, like, what part of the plant do you cut? How many different plants do you cut? Um, you know, all like just all the the natural variability in THC level that exists within a within a cannabis plant population um, that wasn't being factored in. So that is something that we will actually be adding into our measurement of uncertainty. So that will give us some leeway there. Um, and another thing that we're arguing and trying to get past is the ability to remediate or utilize in some way the, the hot hemp. Um, so any hemp that fails the THC test right now the only thing that can be done is that it has to be yeah. destroyed, completely destroyed, you know, not utilized in any way. Well, that's obviously really wasteful. Um, it's tragic for the farmer. It just doesn't serve a whole lot of good purpose when there are things you can do with, with a failed hemp crop. Um, and still ensure that it isn't entering, you know, the stream of commerce, which in a, in that, like, you know, at, at an over 0.3% THC level. So, um, so I think if, if we are successful in being able to negotiate with USDA um, to allow remediation of, of hot hemp, that will sort of eliminate the, um, you know, the strict cutoff at the 0.3% level. Wonderful. That's, but no, it that's just really remains great. to be yeah. seen. I mean, but it, you know, I do think that we're pretty hopeful that things will change because we have had a lot of conversations with USDA. And so we know that there's been significant pushback on a lot of these issues it's not just us that aren't happy with sure, it i mean it's sure. ever most other states um there are other states that have actually decided that it's just too difficult and too expensive to be able to run their programs because of the rules and they've decided as a state that they're not going to to do that. So we, one of the just, most we just wiped it out. Yeah. So we had heard oh. that um like well, I don't really want to name the state names because I'm not 100% sure, sure no, of fine. memory. They can but say there were just a handful of states that were like, yeah, we're not going to we're not going to have our own state plan. We're not going to regulate hemp. Um but there were just like one or two and they were small states. I mean, they really didn't have much hemp production to begin sure. with. But one that just 
just released like within the last month and said that they're go not going to um, regulate hemp anymore is New York. So they wow. actually had a pretty robust hemp program yeah. at the state yeah. level. Um, so I don't know exactly what the decision factors were in that, but it, to me, that's pretty significant that a state that had that much hemp cultivation within it is just yeah. decided to like throw up their hands essentially and say, we're not going to even bother. Like we can't afford to run the hemp program anymore. And so now, you know, every hemp farmer in New York is going to apply directly to USDA oh, okay. so and get their license through the federal government. Um, and then USDA is going to have to go out and test all their fields and, you know, oversee hemp cultivation in that state. Wow. Interesting. But, um, you know, so there's been a lot of, a lot of pushback, um, against these rules to the point where they reopened the comment period for the rules, um, which is pretty unusual that they would do that. So now it's, it's open for comment for a second time. And that comment, the second comment period ends on the 8th. So on Thursday. So we are preparing a second, um, you know, comments document to submit to them and trying to really like flesh out the argument against certain parts of the rule that we don't like and to really try to communicate like the, the actual farmer perspective, like, um, you know, just saying like, so our first round of comments, we said like, well, we don't think that we should have to destroy every hot crop because of X, Y, and Z reason. Well, now we're really trying to flesh it out and say like, here are specific examples of farmers in our program who failed and had to destroy their crop. And here's how much they spent on that crop in actual dollar amount. Mm -hmm. And, you know, try to really communicate like, this is incredibly expensive and just one failed crop, that could be enough to just say like, they're done. Like they're not gonna ever grow hemp again. Well, and so, to compare it to a farmer in corn who may be able to have off-spec corn and sell it for ethanol production or something else, that there are other options and yeah, just no option for hemp farmers. Right. No the option and good. no coverage, no subsidy, no, you know, insurance, no guarantees from the seed vendor, nothing. Are, are there any statistics of how many acres or how many growers oh, had to get something trashed this year, last year? Yeah. Um, so last year we had about 12% of our samples that we collected right. failed. The first time? The first time. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't... I don't have that number with me, okay. but the, so the destruction of, so the way that we did it last year was we tested by the grow location. So like if you registered one field, we would just take one sample for the field, regardless of what, of how many varieties were planted but, but in there. About 30 samples in the, when you say one sample, you mean Correct. you went around the field and collected about 30 
pieces of product. Yeah, okay. Correct. Yeah, the way that we collect a sample is we walk the whole field um kind of in a random pattern and we select randomly select 30 plants and we take the top two inches of the female flowers, um, take a cutting from each of those 30 plants and put them in one bag. And then when the lab gets the sample, they'll dry it down and then they grind it up in like an industrial grinder. And so, you know, they're homogenizing the sample. So it's really, you know, the reason we take 30 cuttings from that field is to try to get an average or a, like a, a good average snapshot of the whole field so that no one individual plant, you know, ends up skewing the sample. So last year we would take one sample, um, you know, 30 cuttings from that whole field, regardless of if it was one variety or many different varieties. And so because of that, like if we had a field that failed, then a lot of the times, if there was more than one variety grown in the field, then the farmer would usually request um, us to come out and take a new sample. And in that case, like we would then subdivide the field into whatever lots, whatever varieties there were, and test them, test, test each variety separately. And usually it would be only one of the varieties that would be hot and would fail. So, you know, we had 12% of our samples fail, but um, luckily that didn't translate to like all of those representative lots getting destroyed. But so, so was there an acreage count or any uh, percentage of, of uh, uh, ultimate destruction? Yes. Um, there is, but I don't have that okay. number. But I, but I mean, just in your in, in your recollection, I mean, like two percent, five percent, six percent. Um, like was it about? So half? I, it was just a few hundred acres. Like okay. I want to say one to two hundred acres out of seven thousand five hundred okay. acres okay. total. So, so a small amount in yeah. the bigger picture. Yeah. But, but if you're and this if, year if so far, acres, yeah. Right, right, exactly. I mean, it's a relatively small percentage of the total acreage, but for for you for that individual mm -hmm. farmer, it can be like a total Ter loss. Terrible, so, yeah. yeah. Um, this year so far, I mean, we're still like kind of. I mean, we're coming off the the tail end of our big sampling season, but we're still getting results in, but. Preliminarily, um, we've only seen about 5% failure rate this year. Oh, okay. So that is a lot better. And, um, you know, I I think that it's probably a multiple different factors, but hopefully one of them is that seed vendors and the breeders okay. are getting better and, you know, more consistent varieties. Um, another factor is that there are more people growing for CBG this year. And last year it was like all CBD. Um, this year, you know, there's still majority CBD, but a lot more CBG and those varieties seem to be much more consistently lower in THC. Um, and then also I think 
farmers who have a little bit of experience just being able to 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 really dial in their timing better and um you know knowing not to let their crops go too long if there's any kind of like chance that they could go hot in the end then they're getting better about like okay well then we'll move up our harvest date a little bit and we'll move up the you know the state testing date a little bit and just try to be more on the safer side of things we uh, planted a pound of X59 um, kind of as a trial and it often a separate little area and two of them germinated and one of them was a male. So we killed that the first day we figured it out. And then the other one, we just let it grow and we let it grow and it had been planted early. So we let it really, really mature. And so, you know, we just for fun harvest, we got one beautiful X59 that we played with for a couple of days and destroyed it because as you know and and for our listeners we're just a little tiny research and development place here we're in this to try and learn about genetics and make future plans we're not a grower like uh, people that have an acres and acres or some people that have uh, hundreds of acres actually and uh oh it doesn't let me kill a call it just let there we go um uh so that's what we did this year we planted we've had six varieties that we planted and I think we have three plants left that we're just like letting them grow and watching the THC go up in them. And once it gets over, then we just kill the. We have a little fun with it, take some pictures and and uh, kill it. But boy, we've we've found some strains that are way better than the chem cherry that we had last year as far as making buds. We've got some buds this year that are uh, beautiful, like we've seen others raise on the internet, but. Boy, that THC just keeps creeping up. And that's what we were doing this year. We were just watching it till it got, you know, that's what, because we have our own testing device. So we were just mm -hmm. watching it. And that's what you were talking about earlier. Where do you take it off the, where do you take it off the plant? If you're testing down, if you think of a Christmas tree, if you're testing down inside by the trunk, it tests way different than it does out on the edges. And it tests way different than it does on the top and on the bottom. And so this is an interesting thing because, when, if we took the whole plant and chopped it all up and took it to Veronica and got a homogenized sample there, even though they were testing over at the bud, I would tell you that they would be testing under, you know, in the homogenized plant. So this is an interesting thing that's still got to work itself out as the years go by here and we, and we, this learning cycle keeps going on is where where what's the right amount, even though the bud might get a little high, but when we're taking the whole plant, because there is CBD and now CBG and we're looking for CBN and, and all these other things, how can we ignore the THC? Because we don't want it. We're not interested in it. It's not our world. Or, or does it have to be genetics? Are we just going to, do we have to depend on these genetic guys to just build us a plant that that's old news and it's gone? Is that where we have to? Right. Is that where we have to be ultimately? Well, it. I mean, it, you know, it all. It remains to be seen what the final rule will look like um, that USDA puts out, and that's 
going to be a big question mark. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I mean, if, if there is possibility of remediation of, of the hot plants, then definitely, I think, we'll continue to see hemp plants that are that are bred to be high in CBD and end up, you know, inching up over that THC yeah. threshold. But if they hold a hard line and just say, nope, you know, if, if you test a, a hemp plant, if it's over 0.3, it's a controlled substance and it can never not be a controlled substance again. Um, and, you know, destruction is the only option. Then I, I do think it is, it is 100% possible for breeders these days to oh, they, breed they do... a hemp plant that has zero THC. And but it's just going to take some time. It's it will gonna... take time and it will take money. And, you know, yeah. there's not, there's, that's the thing is there going to be incentive for them to, to develop those and yeah. sell them widely or won't there be? Right. Um, and, you know, we hear all the time that, well, you know, people say like, well, just get rid of the 0.3. That's crazy. Like we should move it up to 1%. Um, but, you know, if you really think about it, I, that wouldn't solve any anything. I mean, you could move the number wherever you want, but let's say we moved it up to 1%. Well, then everything would just be inch up that. to 1% <laughs> and then you'd be just pushing that constantly okay. and dancing okay. around that, that level. So, um, so the industry will find a way they really will. I mean, it's full of the smartest people in the world. And if the money is there, they'll develop varieties that will be compliant. I mean, that's, you know, these, these companies that are selling seeds right now where their clients are failing and having to destroy their whole lots. I mean, they're going, they're going to be out of business. They're not going to be selling seed next year. I can pretty much guarantee. Or if they they won't be selling the same kind of seed. Um, mm -hmm. So the the good players and the smart breeders will eventually dominate the industry. But yeah, it's it's just what for what regulatory framework are they are they going to be incentivized? Like where, where is the incentive going to be? And that's been the hardest. I mean, one of the hardest parts about being in the hemp industry so far is that each state had its own pilot program and its own little way of doing things. And, you know, we'd always hear like, well, why are you sampling the top two inches? You should be grinding up the entire plant because that's how they do it in Tennessee. Or why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? <laughs> and it's like, we're not in Tennessee. We're in Minnesota. This is just how we, this is how we do it here. Um, so that is so hard for, I mean, how do you develop like a, an agricultural um, industry that transcends that covers the whole state. If each yeah. state has these yeah. these different pockets of rules, that's right. And we're still, you know, we're we're now developing our program based on this interim final rule that USDA has put out. It's still it's not the final rule. Uh, so there's just all this uncertainty still, and you know they're they're all waiting to see what finally shakes out and becomes permanent. And then, you know, we'll, we'll see varieties that are going to be compliant, but you're right. It will just take time and money.
Yes. Veronica, <laughs> you're you're shaking your head. I know there's something rattling around in there. Well, I agree. I think it. I think that uh, companies, seed companies, uh, will make changes because they'll see great loss and people won't buy those. Just like you said, Margaret, and that. We also, I, I, I really like what you said about CBG. We're already starting to see that. We're seeing varieties that are presenting differently with much lower um, just THC in the field right now. And I've been really interested in that too. Just talked to a grower this morning. So I think there's a lot of exciting things ahead. For me, I hope that we also see a different way that we look at processing and transportation because I think... Uh, products in process is a whole different arena that we could talk about. What do you think about that? And what do you see ahead for opportunities in that uh, space? Sure. Um, so, I mean, I, I think part of the question is like, like, you know, transporting of, of crude oil, um, I think maybe that's what you're getting at. Like, how mm -hmm. do we transport material that's over the 0.3% limit? Um, that is a huge, huge issue right now is just the process, like what happens during the whole processing and extraction process? Uh, you know, we know that that through that process, materials go over the 0.3% level and under, and it's all over the place. Um, but there aren't, so we know that, you know, the, the processors know that, the law enforcement knows that, everybody knows that, but, you know, people really try to get assurances, like, want me to, like, give them a stamp of approval, like, you're approved to have material that's over 0.3%, but I just can't do that. It's still a controlled substance, but that, I mean, that is a huge thing that needs to get worked out within the next year, hopefully, is, is a frame, like an actual regulatory framework to allow companies to possess, give them some protection to protect, possess material that is over 0.3%, um, and just some protocols for how they um, document their process, uh, you know, how they good re records of of all the THC they produce and destroy and the methods of destruction, all that. Um, but it's also unrealistic to think of, of one company handling the entire process of making, you know, distillate all within their, the confines of this one building. Um, you know, it's it's not it's just not realistic. That's not really how how manufacturing happens. You know, it makes more sense for certain companies to just specialize in THC removal and destruction, for example. Um, but right now, it's just you're taking on a ton of risk by moving that crude oil to those companies that do that. So. Um, there definitely has to be be some protections there and a process in place for how you know allowing that material to be moved um, and remediated properly. Mm -hmm. um, the legislature in Minnesota is 
is aware of this issue. And last, not this past session, but the one before, they asked uh, the Department of Agriculture to write a report just you know, with recommendations of how um, how we should regulate CBD processors and hemp processors that are that are handling this type of hot material. Um, so we, well, I didn't write it, but my supervisor Tony Cordelette wrote it and submitted it to the legislature this past session. So basically, it was a legislative report. You know, we met with primarily with um, law enforcement in Minnesota and so worked with them like we had some drug task force members and we had um, uh, someone from the state patrol, the commercial vehicle inspection division on there. And, you know, they gave us recommendations of like how, how, okay, so you have shipping manifests and, you know, their standards. So like anytime a shipment of hemp is moving within the state or, or through the state, like if we pull them over, we can ask for this manifest and it shows clearly like what's, what's in all the drums and um, you know, they, they don't like, they're not against it. They just want it to be spelled out and clear. Mm -hmm. And they want to like, they're like, just tell us what we need to look for and we'll do it. So it is definitely something we can solve, but you know, now the ball is in the legislators court, I guess to i mean they've they've asked for our recommendation we've given it to them and hopefully now they'll pass something pass a law exactly we had those guys here too we invited them out the drug task force guys uh not the uh the the scale guys or the you know the the, but we had uh and uh, uh one of the highway patrol uh lead guys is just a couple miles from me here and, you know, we've talked this through with them and we showed them everything that we have and, and you know, our tester and, and what we do and our little bit of processing that we do. You know, Veronica does things by pounds and pounds and pounds. We do it by a little half a cup. Um, that's our size of things. But And we talked this through with them and they're saying the same thing. Look, we don't want to be bothered if some guy is carrying three pounds of legal hemp and he's driving through the state. We, we, we don't want to take our time and deal with him. But the thing is, how do we know that it's not something that is something we should be dealing with? And we we had long and really fruitful conversations with them. And and I think that partnership is is the greatest thing that we can cultivate is that, uh, you know, we are not on the other team. We are here to uh, make sure that this is, a, you know, is is how you want it. And so that your job out there doing what you do uh, goes as smooth as it can also. And uh it was a great day for them and for us. I mean, we had a, they were, they were scheduled for like 50 minutes and they were here a couple hours. It was really neat. We too had a great conversation with Fargo police uh, because we wanted to make sure they understood what we were doing and how we were being, you know, safe and secure in our building. Um, But I like what you said, Margaret, I think that every, all parties want to see a plan that we both can follow and that we both know this is how this is supposed to be done and we're both following the rules. You know, um, uh, that just makes life so much easier when we all have a plan. So, this has been fantastic. I think we could, 
it's it's been 50 minutes and we could talk for another 50 minutes. <laughs> Would oh, you be easy. willing to come back again? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and also the wall behind you is fabulous. I I love it. It's like Thanks. Zoom, Zoom fabulous. Do you, you know what? <laughs> um so we bought this house from a couple and the guy was actually a uh, a broadcaster like a radio broadcaster for I don't remember but some national station and so this was like his recording studio and he put up these rugs on the wall for sound per, you know good sound purposes but I just love it it makes it so cozy in here <laughs> oh it's beautiful well it's perfect for uh this year <laughs> it is it's it is. the right year <laughs> yeah. I have three boys three little boys oh my goodness We're upstairs oh my goodness. So it does help with sound control. Wow. <laughs> oh. So hemp wow. isn't the only wild thing you got on got going on in your life. No, sometimes <laughs> I sometimes I come to work to just get some peace and quiet. <laughs> just different problems. You know. Let's let's take a moment and tell anyone that's listening to this, and it may be a long time in the future, but if they're considering raising hemp what should be there in minnesota because that's your that's your bailiwick um what should the, the consideration be before they take the jump obviously they're going to do the forms and all that kind of stuff but just in their thought process what should the consideration be should i be a hemp farmer or not yeah you know i don't like to really give too much uh advice or recommendations but I mean, the best thing that someone can do if they're just thinking about growing it is talking to somebody that's grown it before. And especially like if you can find someone in your local area um, and just see what they're doing and just hear about, you know, how it went for them, that's that's the best thing that can happen. Um, you know, I always recommend that they find a buyer or a couple like potential buyers before they buy seed and you know plant a bunch of acreage um because it's kind of heartbreaking how many people grow it and then ask the question of okay well now can i see a list of buyers or oh uh -huh. um, it, it really happens all the time um so I, I can't stress that enough is that you need to have a plan for the crop um, and a kind of an awareness of, of what your potential buyers are before you plant and invest a lot of money. Um, but yeah, yeah, so applying, applying to the program, um, the application for 2021 will open on November 1st and it will be open through April 30th. So it'll be a long time that it'll, we'll be accepting applications. And basically you can apply online and, and pay your fees online and you will actually register your specific grow or processing locations during that process. So have that in mind, like when you go to apply that you'll have to enter in your actual like field information. You can make changes to that later on if you need to. But, um, you know, just have that in mind when you're applying. And then all first time applicants have to pass a criminal history background check. 
And so that just involves um, getting fingerprinted at a law enforcement office and then sending the fingerprints into the BCA. And then they send the criminal history background check to us. I wish, they'd, I wish they'd let me do that myself. I'm way better rolling my fingers than when someone grabs my hand from behind yeah. me and does that. It's like, I can do it myself, really. I'll give you the best set of prints you've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It is cool on that thing, though, that it's like not with ink, you know? It's kind of a Well, some cool. of them. Yeah. Oh, I haven't, I haven't done that yet. Some of them still using a I, lot of the rural offices, but like in Fargo, I'm sure they do it electronically. Yeah, it was and a pretty it's real ink up here yet. And then you got to wipe your hands and wipe your hands and wipe your hands. And oh, yeah, yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Margaret, wonderful having you on the show today. And yes, come back. Let's get into the commercial program a bit so you're real mm -hmm. comfortable with it. And then we'll come back and we'll talk about that and uh, just have a, a great day. Uh, uh, Veronica, any final? No, thank yeah, you thanks. so much, Margaret, for spending so much time with us. This was fascinating. Uh, I really appreciate it. And so do our listeners. This is another edition of Chat Canna. We hope that you watch us anywhere that you can. We're on YouTube. Please make us your friend. If you are uh, or subscribe on YouTube, on Facebook, make us your friend. Uh, this, of course, a production of Prairie Products down in Fargo. Uh, hit them up at prairieproductsnd.com and uh, Canna RHX. And you can see all of the past shows at uh, cannarhx.com, chatcanna.com. We are everywhere on the internet. And we look forward to our continuing study, learning, experimentation, and finding out about this great product called hemp. My name is John Reitmeyer. We look forward to seeing you again tomorrow morning for another Have You Heard. See everybody. Don't go away, uh, uh, Margaret. We'll talk to you in a minute. Uh, we'll see everybody else tomorrow morning for the next show.